0: In this episode, I have a conversation with Dan Fogel. This is a deeply moving conversation about love, loss, and the invaluable lessons learned from a 45-year marriage. Join me as Dan shares his touching story and shares wisdom that will resonate with anyone navigating long-term relationships and the challenges of grief. This is the Executor Help Podcast, the show for people who want the sense of security knowing all their affairs are in order. Avoid the stress and anxiety of what could happen to your estate, to your assets, and to your family when you're no longer here. Now here's your host, David Eady. You know, I'm always always looking for meaningful and important conversations to for this podcast. And my guest today, Dan Fogel, is a person I wanted to have a conversation with based on an article I uh, he wrote in uh, HuffPost. And it was entitled, My Wife of 45 Years Died. I thought I truly knew her until I discovered her journals. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to be here and, and sharing your story. Why did you feel that you wanted to share your story um, to, so, to, to the world?
1: So, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I grew up as an academic my whole life. I was a professor at different universities and always worked, wrote in the third person. And so after Sue died, I one of the ways that I processed the grief was to write a lot in the first person. Um, And so really, the article is a platform for a larger memoir that I'm completing. But more so, the the motivation behind it was to help younger people. I mean, I saw that some things that I wish I had known, or I had paid attention to, if I had known it, I didn't pay attention. Um, And so I wanted to do that. And response to it has been incredible the huffpost editor contacted me and he said it was the most read article in the huffpost personal ever and that the uh uh, i got over 400 emails not all positive either you know (laughs) i mean some people were kind of offended by some of the things i said and one person called me a jerk and a douche and i said yeah that's me too well and and also (laughs) you also call yourself a Shmendrik, a Shmendrik, right that's what my dad yeah that's a yiddish expression my dad always told me that I was a Schmendrick. he called me, hey, Schmendrick, come here. Kind of. <laughs> well, I
0: don't understand why, how I read
1: it. I thought it was a
0: part love story and part cautionary tale. Uh, mm-hmm. Truly, it showed that you really did love Sue. Um, Absolutely. And, and the way you, you you know, how you, you felt about her, even right down to, you know, the final hours, the minutes that you were with her, uh, you know, holding her hand and and how you you felt kind of lost because you didn't know what right. to do because you were saying that um how do you know if someone's gone is when their hands go cold mm-hmm. and then yeah, you and didn't know what to down. do
1: mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's true and I and uh yeah I was I was a deer in the headlight for a long time a couple months and um but what got me out of it was um kind of a benign uh, event I went to the eye doctor And I'm standing there in front of this form filler, and she's asking me, you know, your insurance, your name, your address, and all that. And then she asked me my marital status, and I just froze. And I I went through all these things I should say, you know, am I married but single? Am I single? Still, You know, what am I? What am I? And I finally got the words out, widower, but that impacted me so much. After I saw the eye doctor, I went in the parking lot, and I just uncontrollably was crying. And I said, wait a minute, I got to deal with this. I realized I wasn't dealing with it, that I was doing a lot of mechanical things like taking care of insurance, you know, the memorial and things that were more transactional and I wasn't dealing with my grief. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that was that, that kind of minor event really shook me up.
0: So, so tell me a little bit about Sue from, you know, what you wrote in the article. She died at ten twenty-two AM on April eighteenth, 2018. Right um she was diagnosed with breast cancer that had gone undiagnosed for years and despite her having the checkups um the radiologist missed the malignancy behind a a scar behind some scar tissue and then it spread uh as you put it without mercy yep tell me a little bit about her Yeah.
1: so so she how'd you meet uh, sorry how did you meet We met at, uh, actually, when I came back, I I got kicked out of college, undergraduate school so uh, during the Vietnam War. So I tried all sorts of things, Canada, uh, I didn't get back in another school or whatever, but um, I went in the Peace Corps and I went to Brazil for two years and I came back to school. And when I came back to school, that's, we met at Penn State University and uh, we worked in the same department. And, uh, also I started a daycare center based on a paper I wrote for a professor and, uh, and she sent her four year, then four-year-old, uh, to that school. And so I got to know her that way. Uh, and she was getting a divorce. Uh, she was pregnant also with another child. It wasn't mine, but it was, uh, she was a little bit, uh, out of sorts a little bit, but at the same time, strong woman, you know, would handle it. And, um, but we got to talking and and one thing led to another. And then uh, married and went to Wisconsin and on and on and on. And we've lived all over the US. And then we've lived in um, Budapest, Hungary together, uh, Pittsburgh, and she went to Brazil with me again. And she, um, she was a quiet uh, people She was a very quiet uh, person. Uh, People often thought that she was unhappy at times, but she wasn't. She was perfectly happy. I like to observe people. Kind, considerate. Her kids just absolutely adore her. Yet at the same time, they recognize that she was one to keep her emotions inside. And um, she was not a special needs child. So in other words, she could have expressed herself easily uh, but she chose not to and she chose to also suppress some of the things that she wanted to do in deference to my career
0: yeah Um, we'll we'll get that in a second but you know when you said that you it finally hit you in the parking lot that she was gone and you said that that she had given you some advice after she was gone and she told you just to do one thing what was the first thing you found yourself doing And how did that set the tone for the rest of your grieving
1: process? Well, again, the the, the first things I did were kind of transactional things, but the first real grieving thing that I did, and I I had to adhere to her advice because my brain is, I I have ADHD. So my brain works in a very strange way. It links things that nobody else would link together and um, impulsive uh, on and on and on. So I, I, kind of disciplined myself uh, to read. Uh, I did, I used my academic skills, to be honest. I read, I talked to people, I went to therapy um, and talking to other people about their experiences. And I tried to do that in a very systematic way so that I wouldn't um, miss some of the learning that that I could gain from that. You know, I wouldn't gloss over it. Right. Um, and uh, and also I, I was feeling really lost sue was a kind of an anchor for me you know for my flying ribbons all over the place and um and i realized what i was separated from uh so i tried to do it more systematically uh than i did other things and not act impulsively you know not react real quickly i dated too early uh and i i stopped that process and um and I also uh, I tried to take care of my kids. That was one thing uh, I really wanted to spend time with them and help them through it, also talk to them in a way that we hadn't talked, maybe ever, uh, about each other's emotions, about each other's, you know, perceptions of Sue, et cetera. Yeah. So so I guess the answer to your question. <laughs> I realized that I needed to dig deep and grief is a constant companion. It doesn't go away. Um, but it's a privilege too, right? I mean, that, that I love somebody so deeply that I could grieve. Yeah. And, uh, that stimulated me to really pay attention, uh, and to spend time on that. I stopped doing my consulting. Uh, I stopped doing some other things in deference to the grieving. And also I knew I'd, I'd kind of be a mess if I didn't deal with it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Sue was gone and that took a while for me to say, Hey, she really is gone. Uh, you know, there's a woman named Mary uh, Frances O'Brien wrote a book called The Grieving Brain. And yeah, in there... I've had Mary Frances on. We, I
0: had her on the show. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. her work is nice. great. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, so your brain keeps searching for that thing it misses. And uh, and it takes you places that that are not always uh, useful to healing and to grieving.
0: Yeah. So in, in the article you had one perception of how you saw Sue and Mm -hmm. and how you thought her life was going with you. And then in in the article, you mentioned that she kept some really painful thoughts hidden in her journals. And and when you discovered these things, they sort of had a a perception, an impact on your perception of her
1: and your relationship after 45 years of marriage. How did that affect you? What what is it you learned? Well, the the, the biggest learning that happened to me and it sounds odd after 45 years, but it was true, uh, was that I finally had separated the roles that she played in the family, you know, being mother, wife, a daughter to her parents from Sue. Sue is a person and all her emotions and desires that she had. And what I started to understand was that all the signals she had given me over those 45 years and how these journals kind of highlighted certain things that she wanted to achieve in her life or how she felt, uh, you know, her feelings about me that she didn't express, but that, that she did it in, through those, some of those journals. And there weren't that many, but it was those few that really triggered uh, my realizations about what she wanted and what she uh, desired throughout her life. And so the separation of the role. And to see her as a person, and I and and if I leave any message with anybody, is is think about that. Think about how how you can know a person uh, to their unique humanity outside of the roles that they simply play in the relationship. Um, so that's that's one of the biggest things that happened to me. And when I started to do that, um, I saw all sorts of things. Uh, another thing that, and this is the title of my memoir called "Near Enemies." The Buddhists have. This notion of near enemies which is something that seems positive but it really leads to negative outcomes in our case it was peace at all costs you know uh sue and in our marriage and our communication style with our kids was let's keep let's keep things peaceful that a a successful family is one that has peace rather than conflict surfacing truth
0: (laughs) so when you found these journals and you started to read them did was it sort of like a a punch in the gut? What have I done? What I should have done? Was there a lot of what I should have, could have? How did you make peace with yourself after reading
1: the, the journals? That's a good question. I, I don't know if I've, I'm there yet, uh, but I definitely um, started to think about, you know, so journals are kind of considered writing, right? They're, they're not a complete thought. Sometimes they're in the moment. And also one thing I thought about was, well, at that time, that's the way she felt. I think we had a fantastic marriage and uh, she loved me and I loved her. And I certainly see a more more depth uh, in her now that I I've seen that. Um, but I also realized that I had certain behaviors. Um, I had a certain I don't know if I want to call it brokenness, but but that's not, you know, I had a little insecurity, lack of self and other knowledge um i fought with authority which is goes along with the adhd this oppositional defiance disorder Mm -hmm. and i wish i had known about this when i was younger or that my parents knew about it but i grew up in a time when adhd wasn't diagnosed and um i was just a kid difficult to deal with (laughs) a lot of energy i couldn't sit still and uh yeah so so when i stopped that when i realized that and i stopped kind of suffering and anesthetizing my behaviors the way I I did it was I would uh, the anesthesia was constant movements chasing shiny objects moving a lot we moved an enormous amount um road trips you know and I pushed for my accomplishments I mean I was I was a zealot in trying to accomplish things and um I would take on a lot of challenges um I know that and you, I, you you yeah, you
0: you ended up you wanted to move to Pittsburgh and you thought that well not only that uh, you you um there were two homes for sale and do you she picked <laughs> one
1: home and you you decide to go with the other home yeah and the worst part of that story is that not that I picked the wrong home, it's that I didn't listen to her when we went to the closing. I just said ah, we will work it out you know and I ignored what she wanted and that's that's a, that's the regret um we we the reason we 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 got the homes mixed up is because the day she went to Pittsburgh from Budapest um she had the realtor taking her around and then she found out her dad died so she was a little bit out of sorts and she got pictures and whatnot mixed up and commentary and uh but I ignored her I ignored her at closing and I regret that because she was Right. I mean, we fixed the house up and I spent more than I paid for it to fix it up. But we I should say we paid more because she was working at the time also. And um, but that was a that was a not a not not my finest moment. Let's put it that way. Uh. (laughs) Heading into this
0: past Christmas, I found myself searching for a gift that would truly resonate with my son. That's when I stumbled upon Blake Brewer's incredible journey on The Today Show, his mission. To help 1 million parents pen a well-crafted, enduring legacy letter. Inspired, I decided to take the Legacy Letter Challenge Masterclass. Now, Blake's step-by-step guidance made the process a breeze. Now, I'll admit there was a moment that brought tears to my eyes. A writing exercise where I penned the letter my father never had the chance to write. It transported me back to that November Saturday in 2012 by my dad's bedside as cancer took its toll. Unable to speak, I conducted my son Spencer to bid his final farewell. Motivated by this powerful experience, I crafted my own legacy letter, a heartfelt message for my son, filled with wisdom and cherished stories. Now I'm urging you to seize this opportunity to create a lasting impact on your family's future. Visit ExecutorHelpLegacyLetter.com to witness Blake's inspiring story, and then join the Legacy Letter Challenge today, and start shaping your own narrative, one word at a time. A legacy isn't just what you leave behind, it's about how you leave a positive impact on those you care the most about. So go to executorhelplegacyletter.com. Don't let silence be your legacy. Having, you know, read the journals, you express a desire for another chance to ask Sue all of your questions. If you could go back in time, what specific questions would you ask her? And and how do you think those conversations might have shaped your relationship differently?
1: Yeah, I, I, I have a pretty specific idea about that. In fact, uh, in the memoir, I write an article about a dream I had, um, you know, if if, if the, the title of it is If Heaven Had Visiting Hours, and uh, and I visited with Sue in my dream, and uh, I cautiously approached her with these questions, but I think the bottom line is to ask why, tell me more, tell me your stories, and I think when I reflect back on our relationship, and you're talking about 45 years again um i didn't ask those questions enough i didn't ask with the why questions i didn't ask about the stories did she try to tell you the stories did she try to probably probably she did hear them yeah i didn't hear them i didn't pay attention um and she was one who would say who would offer and then if it's rejected she would not push um that that was her personality and so um but I, I, I realized that I had some role to play in shutting her down. Um, and I think that, um, I, I start to see that authentic vulnerable, relate you know, vulnerable relationships, vulnerable in the sense of, of disclosing without worrying about what the other person thinks, disclosing the truth, uh, are really critical to, to, to relationships. And, um, So I I think I would ask those why questions and that tell me more. And I'd also find a way to inform myself to slow down, don't act so impulsively, don't be a bulldozer in some respects. Um, Do you think,
0: do you hearken that back because of the the ADHD? My son has ADHD. Um, And so, you know, how has the revelation um, reshaped your understanding of past behaviors and decisions especially in the context of your relationship with Sue yeah I mean look
1: ADHD is an executive functioning type of problem it, you you it's like a pinball machine right you're bing 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 everywhere hyper, or you have a bunch of hyperlinks and you don't even know where you got started um and uh so to slow down and, and then have some control mechanisms in place uh I think I never got treated with drugs but maybe it would have been a good idea. Um, and uh, I have a grandson now that that I see. I mean, he's like a mirror. Right. <laughs> my behavior when I was younger. So luckily I have this insight and I'm able to talk to my daughter about it and she sees some things. And so I would have put in place some behavioral controls uh, and uh, listened more and trusted Sue more um, and not shut her down. Um So, and conflict, and I'd also, the other thing I would do, I think in retrospect, is try to find a way to introduce productive conflict. I don't want to, conflict's kind of a negative term, but a a way to to, to say it's okay if if we disagree and we get angry with each other once in a while, let's work it through, as long as we start from a position of kindness and love. Um, So- Do you you think that um, back then,
0: over the 45 years, that men were a lot more dominant. They didn't really want to hear, you know, what the the wife might have to say, uh, even though they are the, pretty much the, the, the driving force in the, in the household, but men always, uh, look between you and I, Dan, we both know men are, are dummies. We're, we're idiots and we're lost without our partners. So, you know, a lot of people are listening in, but we can let the cat out of the bag. Would you not agree? So, yeah, absolutely, agree. exactly. and, um, and, I, and and my role models were not very good.
1: I mean my dad was a bit of a narcissist and uh, you know he, he he left the 10th grade and they opened up a refrigeration company. He retired early and never trusted anybody. He was always insecure himself. Uh, my mother was an alcoholic and she smoked three packs a day. She died when she was in her 57. Right, uh, You know so I, I wasn't parented very you know, and that's that's reality of the beast. It's not an excuse for the behavior, but it helps explain some things. Yeah, and you're the, right. Yeah, it's another
0: part that I, I I loved about the article is that you you touch on the theme of shared secrets and unspoken truths in uh, long term relationships. Uh, today, how do you think you know how societies and their expectations or Personal fears contribute to, uh, you know, couples not revealing themselves to each other, even
1: after so many years together. Yeah, that's a good question, and you know, I I guess I don't I wouldn't worry about the balance of letting somebody keep personal versus it's a, it's their responsibility. Um, it's their, not their responsibility to keep me happy or whole or anything of that sort. And I think that um, what I I think my obligation as a partner is to say honestly what I think and how to do that. I think stories are really important. Um, I've learned much more about how to tell my story and how to listen to other people's stories. And um, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a tough, it, it, it's hard because we wanna, as long as I, any adaptation I would make in a relationship as long as it doesn't take away from me another And what I'm saying is that, and I think the same thing for the other partner. And this is a regret I have, I guess, with Sue is that I think I took some things away from her that she wanted to accomplish and, and do. Uh, and we did it. We had, did some amazing things together. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Right. But um, but I, I also think that in relationships, it's a negotiation and trying to, let the other person be who they want to be. they disclose what they want, they don't disclose what they want um and at the same time that I'm I'm still get what I need out of it and I grow um I develop as a person uh, I gain energy from the relationship uh, and I think I kind of sucked a little energy from my relationship, I guess in retrospect is is what I would say and
0: where are you where are you today when it comes to relationships? are you? Yeah. I, so
1: I, yeah, I, I'm dating a woman. I've been we've been together for about three to four years. And uh, she's, I, I got to tell you that very different. Uh, she's, she's uh, very wise and, and very vocal about her needs. And we have a very different relationship. I have less regard for being married. Now, I I would never get married again. And um, I'm not sure why, other than for institutional reasons why people really need to get married. Yeah. Um, it, and it's taught me that successful marriages aren't necessarily long marriages. They're they're marriages that fulfill each other's desires. Uh, they're relationships at, at the heart, right? And and she uh, accepts you as being a schmedrick. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and points to that a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I thought yeah. I thought you maybe would evolve, but you're <laughs> still Dan. It bears
1: still... it its ugly head every once in a while. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: Well, all right. Good to know. So, in, in, in my final question to you is: as ref, as you reflect on your life with Sue and the lessons that you've learned through you know the grieving process, what advice would you give to others navigating who who've got long term relationships, especially when it comes to communication? understanding and embracing each other's individuality
1: yeah i think there are several things so first i think every relationship um is healthy to the extent that people start from kindness that you start from love and kindness that you're loving intent even if there's conflict etc you're you still have that intent not to hurt somebody not to put your baggage on them etc uh and asking questions tell me more Um, how do you, how do you feel about that? And listen, listen, keep trying to get to the specifics and get to the emotional impact. You know, David Brooks recently wrote a book, a really fantastic little book, uh, called how to know a person. And David Brooks is trying to problem solve mostly in the political realm, how we can get people from complete opposite to talk to each other and, uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. And his, his solution is we have to ask questions we have to listen to people's stories solicit their stories and and listen to them um and i think the other thing that i would say to somebody um don't be selfish uh meaning meaning um don't ex- you, the ultimate selfishness definition of selfishness is expecting the other person to do what you want them to do and try to try not to do that um they have they have ways of doing things they have you know desires etc like that uh, don't take things personally don't make assumptions or have expectations try to stay in the moment and then i spend a lot a lot of time trying to be clear in my words in other words to try to really be clear about what my what i want uh what i offer and also i try to listen to others so um those are some things i would say i, I you know for me it's a It's a journey that has been difficult and still is but i'm excited about it and you know i'm 76 years old give me a break i mean that's my runway ain't that long so i gotta (laughs) okay but
0: you you during those you you had your 45 years of being with sue you learned some things and now at 76 you recognize and and appreciate what she did she's probably still lives in your heart every day and you're probably things that you see you you think and you smile and, and laugh. And what you did to take the time to share your, like I said, it's it's a love story and a cautionary tale to others to help them um, solidify their relationships going forward. I think it's a really noble and a really great thing. You might be a Shmedrick, that's fine. we we'll look overlooked that. but you you took the time to do that and share that with other people. And that's what we need in this uh, in this world right now. The more people who are going through tough times that People want to share and help others, and hopefully get uh, get through the tough times, especially when the loss of a loved one and someone who who meant so much to them in their life. Um, I want to thank you so much, Dan Fogel, for being here on thank the show. You. I appreciate you. Um, I wish you all the best, and even with your your new relationship going forward, and um, and she, I'm um, clearly has found something special in you that Sue saw in you as well too that uh, makes them. Put a smile on their face. I assume uh, that you do that every day when they're around you. So once again, thank you so much for taking time to be here on the Executive Health Podcast. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Can you do me a favor? Show some love for the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Can you share it with your community? Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more information, free resources, or just want to get in touch, go to davideadie.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.